they said no one could be more bizarre than Alice Cooper or more destructive than Kiss. They have not seen the sex pistols. Tuesday night, Stone City Attractions presents live the sex pistols. Sex Pistols, denied admittance to the United States. The Sex Pistols bring the new wave to the Metroplex this Tuesday night in the Longhorn Ballroom. Experience the Sex Pistols. Tickets available only three fifty at amusement ticket service, Sound Warehouse, and Fantasia. They said it couldn't happen, but it happens Tuesday night. The Sex Pistols fly. They're the Sex Pistols, the British punk rock group that began their first American concert tour last night in Atlanta, and Jack Perkins was there. The publicity that preceded the Sex Pistols to America said they spat on audiences, vomited on stage, sang of anarchy. Those were the things that had made them famous. And here they are, at least two of them in a hotel room in Atlanta, waiting for the other two to do a promised interview. But they're in a strange mood, flaky, demanding they be paid 10 bucks before they'll do any bleep bleep interview. Denied that, they stomp off. Bleep, they say. It was awful loud, <laughs> you know, real loud. It, it sounded like rock and roll along, you know, a few years ago and listened to punk rock. Groom flinched there because somebody oh, had yeah. just spit on him. Maybe that's what punk rock is about, spitting yeah, on people. Maybe so. Uh, uh, yeah, I don't know what to say now. To counter the Sex Pistols' reputation for not giving interviews, bass player Sid Vicious came out to tell reporters a little bit about his personal background. When I was 13, when I was 12, I was just a kid. When I was 13 to 15, I was a skinhead. From 15 to 20, I've been a punk. Listening to Rock and or Roll, I'm BJ. In January of 1978, the Sex Pistols embarked on a two-week U.S. tour. The band members were no longer getting along. Johnny Rotten was barely speaking to anyone. Warner Brothers, which organized and staffed the tour, had insisted that Sid Vicious get clean, so Sid was on methadone, but he was still in a constant state of semi-withdrawal, not to mention furious that the band had not allowed his girlfriend, Nancy, to accompany him on the tour. Malcolm McLaren had Vicious on a paltry allowance of $14 a week, but Sid still managed to get drugs. To make matters worse, McLaren, 
eager for even more chaos to be reported on by the journalists that he invited to the show in every town, booked the tour in bars across the South, Louisiana, Georgia, Tennessee, and Texas. In San Antonio on January 8th, Sid Vicious struck an audience member in the head with his bass. say I was ugly about it, but he, he came out and hit us over the head with a base. He was hitting us because I was going like this, come on, buddy, and he kept going like this, and I would have been glad to take him on or his buddy Johnny. I, I don't care either one, and so consequently, I was taken out of the concert. I came here to openly cause dissent against the Sex Pistols because I believe negatively in what they're doing. Before the band took the stage at the Longhorn Ballroom in Dallas on January 10th, Sid Vicious carved the words give me a fix into his chest with a razor blade. He mocked the crowd, deeming them a bunch of gay cowboys, and in return was struck in the head by a full can of beer. The next night, January 11th, Sid punched a hole in the green room wall after the band played at Kane's Ballroom in Tulsa. At the end of the last show on the tour in San Francisco, Johnny Rotten broke character and muttered, Ah, ever get the feeling you've been cheated? Good night. It was the end of the Sex Pistols, at least this incarnation. A week later, on January 19th, Sid Vicious boarded a flight from San Francisco to New York. By the time the plane landed at JFK, he had slipped into a drug and alcohol-induced coma and was rushed to the hospital in Queens, where a doctor told him that if he did not quit drinking, he would be dead in six months. The night the group split up, Vicious was pulled off a plane at Kennedy Airport the victim of a drug overdose. Since then, he's lived at the Chelsea Hotel, performing infrequently. Yesterday, police found him there, in room 100, and on the bathroom floor, they found the 20-year-old American girl he'd lived with for two years. Sid Vicious reportedly admitted he'd stabbed Nancy Laura Spungen to death. When Sid was released from the hospital, he reunited with Nancy. In April, the two traveled to Paris, where a Sex Pistols mockumentary to be called The Great Rock and Roll Swindle was being filmed. But Sid and Nancy spent most of their time in their hotel room, doing drugs. Director Julian Temple was able to get Vicious to attend the production long enough to record three songs, Come On Everybody, Something Else, and My Way. When Vicious returned to the hotel after shooting, he found that Nancy had retaliated for being left alone by pretending to slash her wrists. Sid and Nancy eventually returned to New York, where they settled into room 100 after they started a fire in their first room at the Chelsea Hotel, 
booked as Mr. and Mrs. John Ritchie. On the night of October 11th, 1978, Sid and Nancy hosted a party in their hotel room, during which Sid Vicious took approximately 32 anal tablets and, while numerous people came and went, lay sprawled comatose on the floor for the rest of the night. At about 11 the next morning, members of the hotel staff found Nancy Spungent dead on the bathroom floor with a knife wound in her abdomen. Sid Vicious was found wandering aimlessly in the hallway. He first admitted having killed her, then said he remembered nothing. The murder weapon was identified as a Jaguar K-11 hunting knife, which Nancy had purchased for Sid a few days earlier. Vicious was arrested and charged with second-degree murder. Sid Vicious will not have to stand trial for the murder of a girlfriend at the Chelsea Hotel. Sid is no longer vicious, he's dead. His nude body found in a Greenwich Village apartment, spoon and syringe nearby. The heroin overdose may have been accidental. Sid Vicious, a British punk rocker, became famous by being well-known, certainly not for his music, perhaps for his public obscenities, antisocial statements, and vulgarities. Bob Lape has more. Well, just one more in hundreds of overdose deaths in New York City every year. This one was the ultimate for a punk rocker whose life was a discordant jangle that gave savage substance to his stage name, Sid Vicious. John Simon Ritchie, dead of a heroin overdose at a girlfriend's home here on Bank Street. Detective Hausman, he arrived here at 6 p.m. last night. 6 p.m. The party followed. Right. The heroin was injected about... Midnight. Midnight. He had an overdose reaction at that right. point. Right. And then... Uh, he came out of it, and then he went back. Then a little while later, he went back to bed, and then he, he died in his sleep. The ex-sex pistol was described as happy about prospects for a bright future when he came here to 63 Bank last night and girlfriend Michelle Robinson and his mother and partied a bit after having been released from Rikers Island. On the morning of February 1st, 1979, my fifth birthday... After completing a detox program, Sid Vicious was released from Rikers Island on bail. When he arrived back in Manhattan, by chance, he met his friend Peter Gravel. Sid asked Gravel to find him some heroin. When police arrived at this five-story brownstone on Bank Street in the village, they found the body in a ground-floor bedroom. Sid Vicious, the punk rock star, dead from an overdose of heroin. The dead man's mother had discovered the body at noon today, when she went to awaken him in the bedroom of his girlfriend, Michelle Robinson. Miss Robinson, asleep at the time, was not aware that her boyfriend had died during the night. The story told to police by Miss Robinson and the dead man's mother goes like this. Sid Vicious, awaiting trial for the murder of a former girlfriend, had been released on bail yesterday from the prison on Rikers Island. He came here at 6 p.m. His mother and Miss Robinson had arranged a celebration in Miss Robinson's village apartment. About 10 friends came to the party. It continued until 2 a.m. Sid Vicious, they say, had been happy and jovial, talking at length about a comeback and the bright future in showbiz. Around midnight, he injected himself with heroin. A bad reaction followed. He regained and lost consciousness three or four times, they say, but eventually seemed to recover. He went to bed with his girlfriend at 3 a.m. and seemed to be all right. But Sid Vicious, police say, died from an overdose of heroin, and there was no indication of foul play. On Bank Street in the village, Bob Teague, News Center 4.
Sid Vicious had undergone drug detoxification while in custody on Rikers Island. If he had used the same amount of drugs as he was used to, that program could have led to his death. The uh, significance of detoxification is that if a drug user is detoxified and uses the same dose he was used to, it can be lethal. So the detoxification program takes the drug user off the drug, but it also remo removes whatever tolerance or immunity he has to the drugs. Authorities say if that is what happened to Sid Vicious, they may be able to find out during an autopsy. The death of Sid Vicious was also the death of whatever was left of the sex pistols. And yet, they still put the movie out. At last, the film you thought you'd never have to see. The great rock and roll swindle. The staggering story of the punk group that wrung the neck of rock and roll. Kamikaze gang of cat burglars and child prostitutes, they peddled bondage whips and chains to the children of Britain. Sex Pistols, they held the record business to ransom and swindled a million pounds in the process. They stuck a safety pin through Her Majesty's nose and turned the national press into an occupied zone. Sex Pistols. They smuggled a great train robber into the top ten and destroyed the myths of their own success. Yes, the kids are f***ed up. See the film that incriminates its audience. Great rock and roll swindle, starring Sid Vicious, the John Travolta of punk. If everyone has 50 minutes of stardom in them, Sid's watch was running fast. Now his ambition is to haunt the music business. window cleaner and walking hairdo. The only notes that mattered to Jones were the ones that came in once. I was only in it for the birds after the show. Paul Cook, an ugly, acrobatic punk from London Shepherd's Bush. He called the Queen a moron. Come on, blow waves. Unzip his trousers. Let's see what his sex pistol is all about. Johnny Rotten. Was he really a hunchback antichrist with green teeth, or just another juvenile Bill Grunder serving time on Virgin Records? Ronnie Biggs, legendary mastermind behind the great train robbery. Why do you want to ask the famous question, where's all the money? He never sang for Scotland Yard, but he burst his lungs for the sex pistol. Hitler's deputy was just another starving Nazi on the run until he joined the Sex Pistols. Now he's receiving royalties from Virgin Records. Mary Millington, 
Fully cantilevered and gorgeous, she thought she'd tried everything until she met the Sex Pistols. Malcolm McLaren, a modern-day Fagin, conjuring cash from chaos. He was the architect of this fabulous ruin. Look on his works, ye mighty, and despair. Well, would you say that punk rock is finally dead? <laughs> That's the most laughable question I've heard this year. Who killed Bradley? No one is innocent, but some are more guilty than others. Are you part of the great rock and roll swindle? Just seeing it and find out. The Great Rock and Roll Swindle was released in May of 1980. The plot centers around a British punk band called the Sex Pistols and their manager, Malcolm McLaren. Guitarist Steve Jones plays a shady private detective who uncovers the truth about the band. Drummer Paul Cook and Sid Vicious play smaller roles, and Malcolm McLaren is featured as, quote, the embezzler, the man who manipulates the Sex Pistols. Johnny Rotten refused to have anything to do with the movie, stating later that it was a pile of rubbish. The film portrayed a fictional account of the formation, rise, and subsequent breakup of the Sex Pistols from the point of view of McLaren. The title of the film was inspired by an article written by Lonnie Donegan, who sparked the skiffle craze titled, Rock and Roll, It's a Swindle. The movie was shot in early to mid-1978, in between the departure of Johnny Rotten and the subsequent breakup. The film was screened at the wake of Joy Division frontman Ian Curtis, who committed suicide the same month the movie came out. The great rock and roll swindle also yielded a soundtrack. You see, for a brief time, Johnny Rotten had been replaced by Edward Felix Tudorpole, who had previously fronted a band called The Visitors, after answering an ad in Melody Maker that read, Wild Frontman Wanted. Eddie described the visitors as a speeded-up stranglers. Tudorpole was born on December 6, 1955, to David W. and Shirley C. Tudorpole. The family's name derives from that of John de la Pole, the second Duke of Suffolk, and great-grandson of Geoffrey Chaucer, via Tudorpole's grandfather, spiritualist Wellesley Tudorpole. Wellesley's mother was a descendant of Welsh courtier Owen Tudor, and added the tutor to her son's name. Edward Tudorpole was educated at Penthorpe School in Sussex and King Edward's School in Surrey. He later attended the Royal Academy of Dramatic Art. His band of visitors had even played at the Marquis, after which, according to Tudor, a review said that the band was excellent, apart from the bug-eyed Cretan on vocals. He claimed that after that review, he was fired from the band. Soon after, he heard that the Sex Pistols were auditioning for a new singer. A quote from Eddie, They whittled it down to the final four or something, to do it the next day with the Pistols. The Pistols were miming, with each of us singing a version of the Rock and Roll Swindle track, and they spliced it up. The audition is as seen in the film, but all cut together.
Pantheon Podcast listeners, Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house, and my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. 
Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. A quote from Eddie, when we turned up, they gave us all a cassette to listen to a recording of the song, Rock and Roll Swindle, with just Steve singing it. We had to learn it. We all had a sheet with the words on it. They gave us an hour or two before we actually did it on stage. I walked onto that stage and commanded the room and said, hello, I'm 10 Tudorpole. Are these the auditions for Hamlet? And they all laughed. They whittled it down to the final four or something to do it the next day with the pistols. Sid was there on the first day. Sid was there. He came in with Nancy. It was a long day. A lot of sitting around. A lot of kids dressed just like Johnny Rotten. Sid came in with Nancy, and we were all thinking, Fuck, that's Sid Vicious. Nancy was really loudly obnoxious. She got on stage and did a mock striptease, got down to her bra and panties and said, I'm not taking any more off. The rest is reserved for City Boy. She wasn't being amusing about it. Then suddenly Sid turned around. He was near the front of the stalls, and a lot of us were at the back. He turned around, he was obviously out of it, and said, Why don't you lot all fuck off? One of the people sitting behind me, who was auditioning as well, said bollocks. Sid lost his temper. You said bollocks to me? He jumped out of his seat, came running up to the back of the theater, and started punching the bloke. The bloke was trying to fend him off as he was being hit by his hero. He was saying, Sid, man, cool it. It soon settled down, and they were sitting next to each other, chatting. Edward Tudorpole was hired after Malcolm McLaren saw the film footage. McLaren actually wanted to hire another guy named Nicky Love, but it was Julian Temple who lobbied for Edward Tudorpole. A quote from Eddie, As far as I was concerned, I'd got the job. I was now the new singer of the Sex Pistols, and then on the advert for Who Killed Bambi, which was Rush released, it said introducing Ten Pole Tudor. My reality then was that I was the new singer. In a way, I didn't want to be the second Johnny Rotten. I thought, I can't compete with Johnny Rotten. But I wasn't going to get off the train. I was going to see where it led. It would obviously lead somewhere exciting. When it all ended, part of me was relieved, because then I could do my own band and be a band leader myself which is what I'd always wanted to do. It was all crammed into a very short amount of time, four or five weeks, maybe a six-week period. Then Sid Vicious died. McLaren was ousted from control because he'd been squandering all the boys' royalties making the rock and roll swindle film, which eats up money. Strictly speaking, he shouldn't have spent their money, but McLaren always said, you have to speculate to accumulate. So on that technicality, they stopped him from having anything whatsoever to do with the Sex Pistols. And then Sid died about a day later, and the whole thing was finished. 
When Sid died, everything stopped. Obviously, people were in a state of shock, and that was the end. But I got a bit of money out of the publishing company, Warner's for Who Killed Bambi. That was recorded very late. It was rushed onto the album. Then the Rock and Roll Swindle album was released. McLaren said the album was coming out in about two weeks. And by the way, quote, I'm not calling you 10 Tudor Pull. I'm calling you 10 Pull Tudor. I said, I'm not sure I like that, really. He said, that's too bad. You're printed on 10,000 copies. A quote from Eddie, My name is Edward Tudor Pull, and on the way to audition for the Sex Pistols, I thought, what shall I call myself? We've got Eddie Cochran and Eddie and the Hot Rods. We don't want another Eddie. So I said, I'm 10 Tudor Pole. But I didn't like it. The next time I saw Malcolm, I told him that. I said to Malcolm, I'm going to get my own group and I'll call it 10 Pole Tudor. Because he gave me that name, in a way. And so Tudor Pohl emerged in late 1979 with a band he decided to call, for obvious reasons, Ten Pole Tudor. Eddie described the band to Zigzag Magazine as, quote, pricking the balloons of pomposity. The band's first release was a single called Real Fun, which came out in February of 1980. Then the Great Rock and Roll Swindle came out in May, and that was a turning point. Suddenly Edward Tudor Pohl, or Ten Pole Tudor, was a star, and ten-pole Tudor shows started selling out. They were featured in Sounds Magazine and were soon signed by Stiff Records. The original band lineup was Eddie Tudorpole on vocals and guitar, Bob Kingston on guitar, Dick Crippen on bass, and Gary Long on drums. The band's first single for Stiff was called Three Bells in a Row, a song about winning a quid from a slot machine. It came out in October of 1980, just as the band were about to embark on the second Son of Stiff tour, along with Any Trouble, Dirty Looks, 
Joe King Carrasco and the Crowns and the Equators. It was at this point, in need of a gimmick, that the members of Tenpool Tudor started dressing as knights of old. Chainmail, shields, swords and all. The image was fully exploited with the next single, Swords of a Thousand Men. Its subject matter, the Battle of Culloden. Swords of a Thousand Men was a top 10 hit in the UK and resulted in several entertaining appearances by Tenpool Tudor on Top of the Pops. This success was followed by an album, Eddie, Old Bob, Dick, and Gary, which reached number 44 on the UK charts. The first single from the album was a song called Wunderbar, which made it to number 16. Reviewing the single for Smash Hits in August of 81, David Hepworth said the band, quote, had made a noise more normally associated with a coachload of Viking soccer hooligans. Don't you remind me I must find myself another cook 
according to Eddie, quote, We didn't want Wunderbar to be the follow-up. We wanted Go Wilder. My personal favorite from the album Eddie Old Bob, Dick and Gary is the song I Wish. In July of 1981, Tenpole Tutor added a second guitar player with the unique name of Munch Universe. That October, the band was rushed into the studio by Stiff to record their second album to be called Let the Four Winds Blow. It was a rush job. They didn't have enough material, but they recorded an album anyways.
first single from Let the Four Winds Blow was a song called Throwing the Baby Out with the Bathwater. It was a minor hit. So the band had released two albums in the same year, 1981. They crashed and burned. It all happened very fast, but after the failure of the second album, it all fell apart. There have been a number of Tenpole Tutor reunions over the years. They got back together in 1985, recording a single called Ted Ain't Dead, and reunited again in 2001 and later in 2009. Although the 2009 reunion included no original members apart from Eddie. During the 90s, Eddie appeared regularly on UK TV. He was the presenter of the game show The Crystal Maze. Hello, I'm Ed, and this is The Crystal Maze. A hitherto unparalleled excursion through history, time and space where I'll act as guide to six stout-hearted members of the human race. Well, they'll need to be stout-hearted, if not ingenious, if not adroit, as they attempt by using their intelligence and common sense, which are not always the same thing, to seize crystals from the maze. They'll be restricted only by time and their own limitations, but the more they collect, the better armed they'll be by the time we finally reach the dome and they are presented with an opportunity to reap a big reward. Hello, I'm Ed, and this is the Crystal Maze. Resourcefulness, courage, and strength of character are all vital human attributes for any major expedition, and this one is no exception. My six hopefully valiant cohorts will also need skill, imagination, and the ability to think laterally as they attempt to thwart the puzzles of the maze throughout our journey to its very heart, the dome. If they possess sufficient ingenuity, they will amass crystals. And the more they have by the time we finally reach our destination, the greater the likelihood of a big reward. Let's go right away! Hello, I'm Ed, and this is the Crystal Maze. Once again, I'm going to guide a party of six brave mortals through the labyrinthine twists and turns of this strange place to its very heart, the Dome. Now, on our journey, my cohorts shall face many awkward and varied tests of skill as they seek to secure crystals by outwitting, with all their ingenuity, the problems they're about to face. You see, the more crystals they're armed with in the dome, when they finally undergo a blizzard of silver and gold, the greater the chances are of being amply rewarded for their trouble. Hello, I'm Ed, and this is the crystal maze through which I shall guide the six cohorts that fate has sent me. We'll meet them in a minute. 
Now they are fiercely determined to win the games they're about to play and experience the sweet flush of triumph that gaining the crystal gives. Indeed, they may run the full gamut of elation and despair as we proceed to the centre of the maze where stands the dome. Now I can save them from external dangers, but I can't save them from themselves when they're tackling the conundrums. Armed with as many crystals as possible, I shall drop them off at the door of the dome, where all alone they'll make their final bid for victory. We're talking booty here. Let's go right away! Since the 2000s, his main focus has been a one-man show, which he calls the one-man stadium tour. I am a punk. It's an attitude. It's not a form of music. I'm a punk just as much as Jerry Lee Lewis is, or Keith Richards. Um... But I'm not a punk in the way that the exploited are, or GBH, which are just punk groups. You know? Punk's got nothing to do with having a Mohican haircut, I don't think. It's about rebellion, so if I go to a punk festival, I'll do a slow country song, because that's rebellious. All the rest of them are playing the same song. Well, man, I got into punk to escape uniformity and conformity, so what are they all doing? All playing the same song. And why are they so pleased with themselves for playing the same song? I just don't get it, man. Well, we can play really well, so we're going to do really well, because all those punk bands can't play. But they're a little bit up their own ass. And then I got sacked from that band. So I was cast out. And then I got a phone call from our only fan, some lad we'd befriended who came to some of the gigs. And he said, you know the Sex Pistols are auditioning? for a replacement for Johnny Rotten. I said, no. He said, you should go, Ed. I said, where, when? He said, two days' time at, I don't know which theatre it was, Alan will know, might have been the Ambassador's Theatre. And so that's how I got it, broke into the whole scene. I just turned up at this audition. But if he hadn't phoned me up, man, my whole life, I wouldn't be here. And he has reformed Tenpole Tutor from time to time minus any other original members. And now, to play us out. What does that mean, to play us out? I don't know what that means, to play us out. What does that mean? To end the show? Yeah. I'm going to leave you with another song from the second Tenpole Tudor album, Let the Four Winds Blow, called Her Fruit is Forbidden.
say that in Denmark. Great. And uh, I've brought my three bodyguards along here, Tracy, Robert and Paul. Lovely. Yes, nice to see you. And you wanted to ask Eddie a question, didn't you? Where'd you get your trousers from? My trousers? What, are these ones? Yeah. Um, well, Marnie made them for me. They're a bit like Gordon Astley's clothes, aren't they? Yeah. It's very unusual sort of, sort of uh, dress set. It's very nice. Uh, Eddie, how long have Tim and Paul Tudor been together now? Thank you. Um, <laughs> well, we've been... <laughs> Been together about a year now. About a year? And yeah. What were you doing before that? Um, well, I was riding a messenger motorbike. Why were you doing that? To save up for a guitar, see. Well, you always wanted to be uh, a singer, did you? A, a, a yeah, always wanted to be a singer ever since they told me I couldn't sing at school. Did they tell you that? Yeah. And did they tell you you'd have no chance whatsoever? Yeah. Can we get rid of that person who keeps... Uh, John Haystack, can What's we get rid of that person who keeps spraying us with water? I wouldn't upset us this morning. <laughs> Sorry, so you're interested to go into the music business? Yes, yes. Is it whiskey and soda he's uh, producing? No, it's just soda. <laughs> and so you've had some very original ideas for songs. I mean, the latest one, Throwing My Baby Out With The Bathwater. I mean, where does yeah. an idea like that come from? Well, what that one's about is um, this bloke is escaping from the enemy. Yeah. He's uh, rushing down to the bay. He's wounded and he's lost his uh, flintlock pistol. And um, the crew are waiting in the bay with the longboat, and um, they sail him out to the ship. Yeah. And um, they set sail, and uh, the enemy, of course, though he's out of range of the enemy, and then they um, sail out to sea, and the storm blows up, and the mast falls down, and he throws his baby out with the bathwater. It's just such an amazingly uh, sort of original title, really. Yeah. Well, I got the idea um, down the old Kent Road. Oh yes. Yeah. How, how come you've got the old idea down the old Kent Road? I don't see the logicality of Well, that. I thought, well, I'd much rather be somewhere like um, the Congo. Yeah. And so it sort of came from there. I went to the chip shop and, you know, I got the idea. I see. Chip <laughs> you're shop, doing quite a shop. few um, gigs at the moment, aren't you, around the country? Yeah, we're on tour. We're yeah. in uh, Norfolk, West, West Front and Pavilion tonight, viewers. Hello, viewers. Hello, viewers. There's just about two Hello. or three left, I should think, at this moment. Hello. And to you, you were saying to me earlier, actually, the most important thing to you is, is the live act, isn't it? That's yeah. Great. You enjoy that more than recording and everything. Yeah, I think we're, we're, we're getting good at that now. You're getting good now? Because yeah. there was a quote from you a little while ago saying you're either brilliant or a disaster on stage, but you reckon you're... Oh, no, we're, no, we're always brilliant. No, you're always Aren't brilliant. We? It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points. 